He's Christian. He's Jimmer. Welcome. This is two PTs and a bag of chips. Bag of hot chips. Hot chips. Today we are discussing joint replacement, the large version. So all versions. All joint replacements. Covering them as a whole. Bundled together. And we will be reviewing the Packy Haunted Ghost Pepper Chips, brought to us by Becky and Dustin. Thank you, Becky and Dustin, for trying to kill us. The bag says freaking hot on it. So Packy, it's spelled P-A-Q-U-I, but apparently it's pronounced like hockey. So Pocky. Pocky. Pocky it's, chips. It sounds hot. They're Pocky. actually right now, they're melting through the tissue that we put them on. They're really red. I'm not even kidding. This could get ugly. I could, it could be Should hot. we get 911 on the speed, speed dial? dial? I don't think you need to speed dial 911. No? No. It's usually more of a, uh, I think it would take longer to speed dial than just dial 911. All right. I think. I mean, if it comes to that, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I think my fingers will still work, even if I, like. Even if my like, face like, doesn't. <laughs> I may not be able to speak, but. Hey, we had fun in Chicago. Um, we did. For those of you who, who listened to last week's episode, Realize that the quality wasn't all that good, but boy, was it fun. But now we're back in our friendly confines. There's confines? Yeah, that's what you call this. These are our confines. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we're back into the homely That's confines. That's less uh, quality. Homely's less. Homely always seems always a little untaken care of. Okay. Yeah. There's some major construction going on next door, so if you hear something like really loud. That's not us. No, that's, uh, that's the neighbors. Joint replacement, there's three main types. There are. Shoulder, hip, knee. Those are all the same type. Those are three different joints. Yeah, those are th the main ones. Correct. There are some elbow. Elbow, ankle. New. Ankle, relatively new. Toe. Yeah, toe and finger and thumb are, have been around for a long time, but they yeah, they don't really fit the... They're, they're not common. The stuff that we're going to be talking about. No. So I'm actually seeing a uh, a toe replacement now. Ooh. Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah. Interesting. That's more complex, though. There's other stuff going on there. I've seen a couple ankles. They were different. They don't do very well. St still still in the um, experimental phase, I think. Yes. Plus, it's, it's an alternative to fusing the ankle. So I guess, you know, it, it all depends on... How you define function? Do I want my ankle fused, or do I want to try and see if this artificial joint's going to give me some, some relief? But yeah. anyway, we digress. Shoulder, probably the most uncomfortable of the group. Huh? Shoulders when you have the shoulder replacement. I think the knee is more uncomfortable. People with knee joint think, replacements complain all the time of pain. I think the knee is the hardest. I think having your shoulder replaced up by your head, trying to sleep, all that throbbing early on, it gets better sooner. Well, most of these people can't lie down, right? They they sleep. They sleep in a chair. In a reclined position, which mm -hmm. is which is advisable at first. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. No shoulder. I think they're going to be all uncomfortable. They're all uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Hip is the easiest. By far. And this is not based on our experience. This is based on our client's experience. So yeah, over the course of the last 30 years, hip replacement by far the easiest. People recover really well, really quickly, mm -hmm. regardless kind of of the approaches. I think the approaches of, of that was a big thing where you had an anterior approach, so coming in from the front or an anterolateral coming in from the front to side or a posterior. M most of that has an effect on the first six or eight weeks of 
of um, of contraindications, meaning you're not supposed to crush your legs or you're not supposed to sit with your toes pointing out. Or, But I think the, the outcomes are pretty much the same. Yeah, three months out, exactly the same. Yeah. Early on, they definitely have... Some different issues that you need to and do. It's mostly precautions. Out. I mean, the statistics aren't there to, to back that up too much, but you do what you have to do to, to prevent dislocation. Yes, that, that would be the biggest concern in the hip joint. But clearly, we're not dealing with that in the, in the knee. And mm. in the shoulder, with the standard approach, that is, a, that is a concern. With the reverse shoulder replacement, no dislocations. Although I have a patient whose father managed to dislocate a reverse shoulder replacement. Did he fall? Uh, no. It was, right, du- so it was during a transfer. In the hospital still? Nursing home. Nursing home. That's not good. No, but that that's pretty rare. Yeah, a lot of the shoulder dislocations uh, come with a neurological component, I've, I've noticed, in the yes. shoulder. So there's, you know, a stroke or some kind of traumatic injury that results in reduced nerve activation and additional likelihood. So it's, I can't say I've seen one in relatively healthy individual. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. No, I, I would agree. There, that's, it's extremely rare in, um, in, in shoulder replacements to, to see that. I think the reason why they, they had they switched to the reverse is because of instances like you're saying. So people in nursing homes, people who are less compliant mm-hmm. or people with Alzheimer's or dementia who are not as keen in following instructions. They, they received dislocations with them. And that's when the reverse shoulder replacement became popular. And that's also why the anterior approach on the hip became popular because you have individuals that weren't able to follow their precautions for whatever reasons and were dislocating sitting on the toilet or something else that's relatively typical activity for most people. Yeah, I would say in the grand scheme of things, with all the clients that we've seen over the years, the likelihood of a dislocation is extremely low. Extremely low. Extremely low. And the other most complicating factor is the risk of infection. That is also extremely low. It does happen every once in a while, and yep. n- even with the best precautions, you can still end up with a with an infection later on in um, in the joint, and, and that would have to be taken care of, which leads to a revision. So they take the joint out, they put a spacer in with an antibiotic treatment, which could take six, eight, ten weeks and, until any evidence of the infection is gone, and then they redo the joint replacement. Again, really happens, rare. but extremely rare. Yeah. I mean, one... One a year, two a year. Here in the clinic, Maybe. I would say less than one a year. Yeah, yeah, it's, and we probably see a couple of hundred joint replacements each year. So yeah, um, it's very, very unlikely. Um, indication for joint replacements, Christian. The, I mean, the biggest one is osteoarthritic changes. I mean, that's true for the hip, the shoulder, the knee. Pain related to that. Motion loss is is basically the end result there. Uh, pain by itself can be a cause, but isn't typically the cause for a lot of individuals. Most individuals can deal with the discomfort, but as soon as it starts to affect their ability to walk or you know, play golf or tennis or ski or hang out with their grandkids or, or sit comfortably at their desk, that's when they... That's the breaking point for a lot of people. For most yeah. people. Yeah. So if you have pain but function, they can deal with it. But if pain and function are both factors, then the, the joint replacement is, a, is an excellent alternative. And for me, uh, range of motion loss is really difficult to get back. If you're starting to lose significant range of motion, it's really hard to get that back after replacement because you need to kind of work really hard before to get as much strength and as much range as you can. That way, after the surgery, you can stand to lose a little bit and still be okay. 
Yeah, that's probably the biggest the biggest problem. The, the other thing that you have to be aware of when making this decision is how, how much am I compensating and am I starting to affect other joints or other parts of my body? Because sometimes that becomes an issue. So we have, for example, hip patients who are walking with a significant lateral lean or a Trendelenburg limb. Once the hip is replaced, even if their strength comes back, habitually they're so used to walking in this way that, it, that that's a really tough thing to fix. Uh, so yeah, any kind of compensatory movement patterns that, that you have established, the longer you have those, the harder it becomes to um, to take care of this. And I think range of motion is a is an example of that. If you've if you've gotten really comfortable with a limited mobility, regardless of the fact that with the new joint you should have more range, the likelihood of you regaining that is re- is really really low. It's tough. It's really tough. Uh, the other one we see is fractures, uh, complex fractures in joints. This is much more common at the shoulder and, and the hip than than the knee, but the knee can also take place there. If you're of a certain age and, and you have a fall or an accident and there's a lot going on, they may choose to do a replacement at that point because the recovery is, is substantially easier and you're probably heading towards that replacement anyway. I like the, I like the term of a certain age. Yes. <laughs> if you are less young mm-hmm. than, say, 60-ish. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, Christian's right. If you, if you have a fracture in the, um, in the hip and you end up with necrosis or a dying off of the ball. That's really um, bad. It's going to have to be replaced. So if there's a chance of that becoming a complication, you might as well do the surgery and do the joint replacement right away and save you a surgery. Then trying to do uh, some kind of elaborate internal fixation where you put a screw and a pin and, and all Plates. that stuff in and, and still run the risk of, of the, the, the bone dying off. And there's always a lot of factors, and that gets, gets played into every decision. So... It's, it's really hard to say that this and this and this cause you to have a replacement. It's more a combination of things. And at the end of the day, it's always up to the patient, to the individual to decide if this is something they want to go through with or not. Now, you don't have to have a replacement. It's a elective surgery. So Absolutely. And we've, see, we've seen a, a shift over the years in increased activity or, or patients staying more active later on in life and wanting better quality and better function, the choice to have a joint replacement sooner rather than later has become more apparent. So we see much younger active individuals saying, I, I want to continue to run or bike or ski or play tennis, and I don't want pain and limited function, so I'm going to go ahead and have the joint replaced now instead of waiting 10 more years. So there's definitely a shift where we're seeing more active and younger clientele making the decision to have their knees and, and, and hips replaced. And with that, what we see, as opposed to just a total joint replacement, which is where they replace the entire joint, in the knee you'll do you'll see some, some partial replacements every now and again, and that's much more prevalent in the younger population. So individuals in their, in their 30s and 40s who the rest of their knee looks pretty good, but just the medial compartment or the lateral compartment looks poor, and then they'll just replace that in an attempt to save as much bone as possible so that later down the road they can replace the whole thing. Yeah, and that's probably one of the the questions that we get asked the most. One of the myths is that once you have a joint replacement, you can never replace it again, which is absolutely false. You can definitely replace it again. And we're getting to a point in time now where we're seeing patients who've had a joint for 
15, 20, 25 years, and they are needing to be replaced. And, you know, that's very possible. It, it depends as much on how much bone has been lost in the first joint replacement. You can definitely have a second or a third knee replacement or hip replacement if needed. Yeah, and occasionally they'll just replace a spacer if things look pretty decent. Yeah, so if you have the, the metal component and then there's a plastic or plasticized component in the knee, if that part wears out, they can go in and just replace that. And they don't have to take the whole metal part out or ceramic part, which is becoming more common. Yeah, I mean, nowadays after replacement, people get back to, to most every activity. The harder ones are anything involving running and jumping and cutting, but most people get back to their typical activities, walking, uh, we have a few patients that do run. We have one that does triathlon still post double joint replacement. Upper extremity wise, the shoulder, people get back to tennis, back to golf. Throwing can be a little bit more difficult. So if you're a baseball player, a softball player, that, that motion is usually the most challenging because it requires the most strength and stability. And sometimes that can be hard to get back. Yes. But most everyone does really well afterwards and is happy they made the decision. Maybe not that first few months, but after... After several months, they're pretty pretty darn content every time. I think that's a <clears throat> that's a common misconception that we run into as well. It's a standard reply that we that we give to our clients is do not ever compare your condition or your situation to anybody else. Um, each of these surgeries is is a unique event, and your knee, both pre and post op, is a completely different knee than that of your neighbors. So once you're about nine to twelve months out, everybody ends up at about the same place. So it, it does take time. You have to allow time for recovery. You have to work hard. But the, uh, the outcomes are fantastic. But yeah, if you talk to somebody six or eight weeks out, they may give you a different answer. But they're still in the initial phase of their, uh, of their rehab, obviously. And the other hard thing there is, is you know somebody who's had an awful experience and someone who has had a great experience. Most people who have the, the standard experience don't market that very much. They don't, they don't sell it very often. And so you always hear the good and the bad and not necessarily the typical. The in-between, yes. Yeah, it's not a competition. It's a phrase we utter quite often. Do not compare your experience to anybody else's. You can use them to learn from, but there's, by, there's no guarantee that your experience is going to be good or bad just because your neighbor who ended up going to the same physician, who ended up having the same replacement done, your experience can be completely different than theirs. Trivia time. Yay. So last week's trivia, what is the most popular non-alcoholic drink in the world? This is sort of a dumb question. I apologize. <laughs> well, there's there's some confusion about the the, uh, the answer because, there's, because of the way I think that they came to the answer. So water is obviously the component of just about every drink, and so that doesn't really count. That's not included in this whole thing. So the, the big answers are going to be coffee and tea. Depending on what part of the world you live in, the tea consumption versus coffee consumption can vary considerably. But the big takeaways for this answer are, are this. Coffee, 8.5 million metric tons are grown and harvested every year. And for tea, it's 4.7 million metric tons. So on that measure... There is much more coffee than tea consumed. However, it takes 2 grams to make a cup of tea and 10 grams to make a coffee. So uh, on that metric, tea is almost a 3 to 1 increase over coffee. Yes. But then to make things extra confusing, 2.16 billion cups of tea are drank per day, whereas 2.5 billion cups of coffee are drank per day. So coffee wins. That's what it boils down to. All you tea drinkers... <laughs> it's coffee. 
Coffee is the most consumed non-alcoholic drink in the world. And why wouldn't it be? Because it's delicious. It smells good. Christian's not a coffee drinker. Not a coffee guy. Uh, new question. What was the first city to reach one million inhabitants? That's a really good one. I like this one. This is a good and, one. And there's not going to be like any confusion here, unlike your coffee or No, I actually question. did some additional research to confirm this prior this is, to listing this question down. This is, so. this is a good question. This is a good question. Send your answers. Text, tweet, Twitter. Yeah, we had several correct answers this week for the coffee and, and tea questions. So that was good. How could they be correct if you didn't know the answer? Well, I looked it up and then I had the answer and then I kept doing more looks and then it was not good anymore. Anywho, yes, coffee, coffee, coffee. most coffee consumed. I'm, I'm a little, um, I'm always excited about the chip thing. I'm, I'm a little leery here. A little worried today. Well, it yeah. is chip time, so that's good. Okay, you go first. Okay, packy, haunted ghost peppers, chip to air ratio, fifty percent. You take. I'm gonna take a small. It smells piece. hot. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. If I, you like, I see what they did there. <laughs> if you like, not to have any feeling in your. We can't even talk. That's really hot. If you don't want to feel your tongue. Oh, man, I'm, my eyes are watering. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, good one. Thanks, Becky and Dustin. <laughs> this uh, feels great. We may not try another one. Oh, water. No, I'm not going to try another one today. Mm. Man, that was <clears throat> that is hot. You should. <laughs> my tongue is going numb. Oh, my God. Thanks, Becky and Dustin. It's a, it's a corn chip, so it's a tortilla chip. It's very hot. <laughs> and and both Christian and myself enjoy hot, spicy food. Hot's usually hot's usually good. This is hot. This is this is not enjoyable. I don't think you could eat these too much. <clears throat> That's I, even talking. I couldn't I think it it is exactly what it says it is. It's a ghost pepper chip and it's hot. And so on that scale it's a good but on the can I eat it scale, it's it's not so good. No, this is not enjoyable. I don't think it matters what you dip this in either. I think you'd have to dip it in ice cream <laughs> to make it more consumable. <laughs> Vanilla ice cream. Man. Oh, this is this is burning. This is lingering. This okay, is definitely this is lingering. A, this is a, a two thumbs down for me. If I it's, um I it's, it's it's I feel bad giving it too many thumbs down because it's exactly what it says it is. Yeah, but but this is not about whether or not it is what it is. This is about whether or not I enjoy it, and I do not. Yeah, I don't enjoy, enjoy it. this. No, I agree. I do not want to eat this. I'm not going to eat this again. This might ever. be the first three thumbs downer I ever give. It is. This is the very first time that we have not taken more than just one chip. <laughs> you can't eat this and talk. <laughs> this is like a bet. If you have a bet, oh, I bet you can't eat five of those. <clears throat> And you probably wouldn't be able to. Is there a hole in my tongue? <laughs> like my cheeks are on fire. Wow, that is that is hot. We may um, we may have to bring these up on our climb this weekend. Oh man, I can't recommend it. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> not sure. You, it's just not recommendable. But fight for our climb is this weekend. We, as a group, as Team Grover, uh, raised seven thousand four hundred and thirty-three dollars. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of those who have yeah everybody donated and supported us. Phenomenal job! We finished top three. We actually start at nine forty-five on Sunday, so we don't have to be there super duper early. Yeah, depending on the weather, because it's supposed to snow again. Luckily, this is an indoor event. This is indoor. This is rain or shine. So we will we will be there. We'll get some photos. We'll post some photos this week. We may, we may even tape some sections. Yeah, get, get some input after. We might do some live feeding. Who knows? Wow, oh. this is a hot tip. <laughs> 
I can't even think. I can't even think about what I want to say. <laughs> Dustin, Becky, you've outdone yourself. Man. Okay. We'll save you some. Uh, well, thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to be covering sciatica by popular request, I think. The, the topic, not sciatica. Yeah, yeah, the topic. People, A lot of people have been asking for it, so we're going to cover it. We're going to review the KLB Seaweed and Salt Chip. Compliments of Steve Calvisto. If you like the show, tell a friend. Subscribe, review, send us fed feedback, whatever you want to do. If you look need for I can't even talk. It's <laughs> blown our heads off. This is good. If you need more information, check out the website, reboundclinic.com. And follow us throughout the week on Instagram and Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> I'm crying. It's here. killing me. <laughs> uh, he's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>